The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. We're still trying to understand those white working class people who voted for Trump. Yes, most of his support came from regular Republicans, but the Democrats did lose some of their base in 2016, and that made a huge difference in the outcome, especially in places like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Indiana. Gary Young spent a month in Muncie, Indiana, reporting on the election season in 2016. Recently, he went back there to see whether Trump supporters had changed their minds about their man after seeing him in action in the White House for a year. Of course, Gary writes a column for The Nation. He's editor-at-large for The Guardian. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Another Day in the Death of America, a Chronicle of Ten Short Lives. It's a book about kids killed by guns. We reach him today in London. Gary, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Jim. Well, Trump won Muncie, Indiana. He carried the county, I think it was 53% to 40 for Hillary. First of all, tell us why you picked Muncie, Indiana in 2016 as your typical American town. Well, I I picked it less because it was typical and more because it was in some ways emblematic. There, yeah. there were two main reasons. The first was that both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump had won the primaries in Delaware County, where Muncie sits. And so to the extent that I felt that the election was an insurgent election, I thought that here in Muncie I would get the kind of dissident views of both sides. There was that. And then the, the second reason was because Muncie was the focus of a study in the 20s by the Lint, a, a couple of sociologists called the Lint, called Middletown. And they painted Muncie as the archetype of American town. And they did this. They, I think they lived there for about a year or maybe even longer. And they did this long qualitative and quantitative survey of what they portrayed as emblematic of middle America. The kind of place that Sarah Palin might have called the real America yeah. if Delaware County hadn't twice voted for Obama before it voted for Trump. We find Trump in the White House grotesque, almost unbearable. Have the Trump voters in Muncie changed their minds about him after seeing how grotesque he has been for the past year? Well, when it came to the Trump voters in Muncie, there were two things that I found intriguing. The first was, pretty much to a person, they thought he'd done a good job. Let me just underline that. Pretty much to a person... The Trump voters in Muncie, a year after the election, thought he had done a good job. I find that incomprehensible. Well, uh, well one of them said not just a good job, a great job. Yeah. But, um, 
But actually, as they spelt it out, it made sense to me. I was there just um, at the, the turn of the year. They said, look, he's passed a, a great tax bill. They thought it was a great tax bill. He has uh, done a lot of deregulation. The stock market's up. Unemployment is is down, or at least not, you know, not not terrible. And um, yeah, he's done pretty well in terms of doing what he said he would do. And I got to tell you, I remember doing uh, some pieces after the first year of Obama's presidency, and the Trump voters, with some cause, were more enthusiastic about Trump as a president than Obama voters were about Obama as a president at the same time, with cause. Who are these Trump people who like him so much? Maybe they're all country club Republicans who only care about lower taxes. Maybe they're all evangelicals who only care about abortion. The the ones I spoke to, that wasn't true. I think um, only one of the four or five that I interviewed at length, only one of them voted for him in the primary. Uh, One of them voted for Kasich, who, you know, couldn't have been further away from Trump. Yeah. One of them didn't vote at all. One of them liked Ben Carson. One was Definitely an abortion, you know, a voter who who voted on abortion. One was a a doctor and um, closer to what you'd call a country club Republican. Most of these people were people that liberals had put me onto. Had said, you should speak to so-and-so. They're pretty reasonable. Hmm. They've got stuff to say. One of them certainly was very well thought of in the back part of Muncie among local organizers there. So these were not, you know, fringe types. And one was a very working-class woman who I spoke to um, when I was there last time. So, yeah, you'd be surprised. (laughs) You'd be surprised. But the other thing that they pretty much all said was when it comes to decorum, he's awful. One of them said, I would not have him as a friend. Ha! You know, they talked about his tweeting. The one who said, I don't think he's done, I think he's done a good, not just a good job, but a great job, was bemoaning the fact of the kind of absence of an American statesman. And I said, would you think Trump's a statesman? And he said, no, I don't think he is, no. We talked about the kind of embarrassment that he's embarrassing America abroad. The very people who thought that he was doing a good job. And this was intriguing to me because... It feels like the issue of character in the presidency has been dislocated in a way that I'm not familiar with. So you could think that the president had done a good job and that he was a terrible person. Mm. So gone, it feels, are the days of you elect the guy that you would like to have a drink with. This is you elect the boring alcoholic at the bar <laughs> that you want nothing to do with, but you give him the keys to drive everybody home somehow. <laughs> That did surprise me. Okay, enough about the the Trump voters. What about the Democrats and the liberals in Muncie? How are they feeling at this point? Did anybody in Muncie go to the Women's March? Is there a Black Lives Matter group in Muncie? The thing that was interesting on the liberal side about Muncie was that 
pretty much everybody that I spoke to in Montreal a year earlier who was liberal was doing something now that they hadn't done before, was active in some way. Dave Ring, who runs the local downtown farmstand, organic food store, he's, he's um, running for office. There were others who put their names down to campaign for candidates, whereas before they hadn't bothered, but Indiana is going to, is one Senate base that the Republicans are hoping to pick up. And people said, well, ordinarily this wouldn't be something I would do, but I have to do this now. Some had gone to do the Women's March, indeed. And uh, others had gone to the Women's March in Indianapolis. There is a Muncie Resists organization, and they had had a uh, Black Lives Matter meeting, as well as, over the year, a series of kind of town halls about health care and, um, and other things. There were people who hadn't been active for years who'd done phone banking on the uh, healthcare issue when it was under threat. So pretty much everybody, and they were all sparked by the same thing, which was, this has happened now. We, we, we feel that we were asleep at the wheel to some, some extent, and skin's in the game. We have to be involved. We have to be active. You mentioned that Indiana has a Democratic senator incumbent who's up for re-election this November. His name is Joe Donnelly. The the Democrats have to hold on to that seat if they're going to win control of the Senate. Did you get any sense of the politics of Muncie and whether the Republicans are going to be able to recapture the Senate seat? It is a Republican state. No, I didn't. I didn't get, I mean, I didn't go much, but my, my, my project in Muncie has always been very much focused on on Muncie. But I would, there were a few things that in the time that I was there the second time made me think it would be possible uh, for the Democrats to hold on, but secondly, that it wouldn't be inevitable. What made it possible was the activity, that people were out there and they were active and they were active in their, both in their communities and, you know, on social media, the dinner a kind of local uh, a training session for people who wanted to step up and do more things in the community, uh, non-partisan one. And it was oversubscribed in like uh, within a week. And it was predominantly liberals who had joined it. And, and that counts for something. Yeah. That does count for something. Yeah. They're energized and they are motivated as they had not been before. The flip side was that I didn't get a real sense of the Democrats or liberals had processed why they lost. Whatever, you, whatever they think of why they lost, that when you said to them, well, what, why do you think Trump won? Why do you think Trump won if he's so terrible, deplorable? They just kind of didn't really know. They just hadn't gone there, really. And... They're going to need to go there in order to be more effective. But in 2016, as well as Trump winning, the Republicans swept the board. They won. Uh, Evan Bay stood in an open seat for the Senate and lost. They lost the um, lieutenant governor. They lost most of their local races. They lost. So it wasn't just it wasn't just Trump. And so there has to be some 
reckoning, I think, uh, with that. And while I got a sense that the Trump support held strong for those that voted for him, I didn't get any sense that there was any new support coming in that he wasn't bringing more people in. So I did get a sense that the Trump vote was soft, that embarrassment that people have with his behavior would have an effect, whereas the Democrat kind of world was was much more um, was much more mobilized. The local anti-racist group had had bigger meetings than it had than, than it had uh, in the past. Everywhere one looked, the League of Women Voters had more members than it had in the past. So people were galvanized. I think that will make a difference, but I think the loud analysis of where they lost it remains to be seen whether how decisive difference it is. Gary Young, columnist for The Nation, he wrote about his return to Muncie for The Guardian. Gary, thanks for your fantastic work. Thanks for talking with us today. Thanks for having me, Jim. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com And you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 